It's the ERP Confab. I'm David Essex, industry editor at TechTarget's ERP website. Rimini Street is a third-party provider of software support and managed services for SAP and Oracle systems, Salesforce, and major database platforms. It claims to provide better tech support than the vendors at a fraction of the cost and help customers avoid forced upgrades. It recently added support for SAP S4HANA Cloud. To learn more about what Romini Street does and how it does it, I talked to Eric Helmer, the company's Senior Vice President and Chief Technology Officer. We also discussed SAP's controversial announcement that future innovations will only be available on SAP Cloud products and not on-premises ECC and S4HANA. Eric, first of all, can you explain what Romini Street does? We started out the company in 2005. Uh, we started out to really solve a major problem uh, that companies have, and that is uh, enterprise software companies like ERP and database companies like Oracle and SAP and IBM and Microsoft and the rest of that. You know, their model is to charge uh, their customers a lot of money every year for annual maintenance and support. And companies aren't really just getting a lot of value out of that relationship. It's hard to get tickets closed, you know, on time, issues resolved. It takes a long time. You're in a constant state of escalation or you're doing a lot of self-support and they send you a bunch of documentation and all that. So people are, you know, in, in today's time when people are trying to tighten their belts a little bit and get the most out of their vendor relationships, the, that's one that's being questioned. And we solve, we solve that problem. So our customers no longer renew their annual support maintenance contracts with companies like Oracle and SAP. And we provide a much better level of, of support and service, including things like tax and legal and regulatory updates and support for customizations and how-to questions and performance questions. And our average response time for a high severity ticket is 90 seconds. Uh, when we have somebody logging into your system, helping you figuring it out, and solving real issues. So it's a much better support model, right? And it's it's typically 50 to 90% of a less payment and less cost than you would pay the vendors. And of course, over the years, we've grown into managed services and professional services. We have a slew of security products and uh, interoperability products. And we've gotten into cloud support like Salesforce and Ariba and SuccessFactor. So we've really grown the company. It's been, it's been quite a ride. So how does Romini Street develop sufficient expertise in the SAP systems to provide the managed services and the support for those systems? We are really good at recruiting and retaining talent. That's the lifeline of everything that we do. We have programs and people and teams that are dedicated to doing just that. We call it recruiting to retention continuum. And uh, so on the, uh, and we take recruiting and retention very seriously. So on the recruiting side, we have a global network of recruiters. Uh, we hire the top 5% in every one of the 17 countries where we have full-time engineers. Uh, we're focused on interview skills for hiring managers and constantly training hiring managers on those interview uh, skills. And it's, it's, a, it's a committee, it's not just one person. So we call it swarming, uh, but it's really hiring panels uh, of sorts. Um, on, on the retention side, uh, we try to offer really, really compelling, unique benefits 
not only are we probably the premier from work of home, work from home, we've been doing work from home way before the, the, the pandemic. So that's part of our DNA from the beginning. But we also have fabulous, what we call fabulous Fridays, but that means that um, every, every person at Ramini Street is required to work four working days out of five. And uh, we feel that is a great retention program as well, uh, along with training and uh, a really world-class rewards and recognition program, which we think is really unique to the culture. So last month, Ramini Street put out a press release and an announcement saying that it was expanding Ramini Manage to SAP cloud software. And you claimed in the announcement that it can enable organizations to, quote, achieve the same improved productivity, predictability, and business value that Ramini Street delivers to clients utilizing perpetually licensed SAP products. So when I read that, I was curious to know how much of that claim is more about the on-premises SAP apps running in, say, private cloud versus what I think of as the pure, the sort of the more pure cloud, which is the true multi-tenant SaaS the S4 HANA cloud, the public cloud version. And one reason I ask that is that Ramini Street seems to be mostly about helping customers get value from existing systems and not have to take the upgrades that are forced on it by the vendor. Many SAP ERP cloud migrations, based on what I've observed and, and been able to report and my colleagues, it really just the lift and shift type where you're taking on-premises ERP and putting it, let's say, on a, a third-party provider's cloud. So is Ramini Street really saying it can provide the same benefits on the multi-tenant SaaS S4HANA cloud as it does with on-premises S4HANA? It's a little little difference, and I understand the confusion. So if you look at the ITIL scale, right, of, of level four being kind of the vendor replacement support, level three, level two being kind of that managed, managed service. So we kind of have those two different buckets, right? So we provide vendor replacement support, L4 support, on any perpetual license-based model. So that could be on-premise or it could be in a bring-your-own license model for an infrastructure as a service-based cloud, Amazon, Azure, Google, whatever. So that's where, where that's going to come in. And of course, yeah, Remini Street customers, they're not forced to upgrade or move or migrate or lift and shift or re-implement to the software as a service model or take up a program such as Rise. And they certainly don't need to do it by a particular forced date, which is the reason why I think people come to Remini Street and they go if and when or ever, if they ever uh, want to. Because I think most of the time we see, you know, established on-premise customers are having a real hard time justifying the expensive re-implementation to a software as a service, right? Because they're giving up the that perpetual ownership of license that they, they invested in 10 years ago. They were expecting to run for 50 years, right? And, and now the, you know, these vendors are saying, well, now you've got to, you know, throw all that away and really implement to a subscription-based rented tenant model of SaaS, right? And uh, that, that, that's just a tough one to do, to spend you know, multi-million dollars, multi-year projects to um, you know, only get the similar or even less functionality, which they started with two, two years mm -hmm. prior to that, right? 
right? Now, but for those customers that are already on SaaS, maybe they started their journey there, um, or or for some reason they may find a justifiable business case to actually migrate to those SaaS models. We're here; it doesn't really matter uh, to us, uh, and we help in that point in that kind of level three, level two area of the day to day managed services perspective, and we provide professional services as well, so we can help them with any kind of migration or additional functionality or or that. So it doesn't matter where people go. We have services in each one. It's just a little bit different where we are on, on the support ITIL spectrum. I'm curious to know what Ramini Street had to do to make that expansion to SAP cloud products possible. For example, were there technical hurdles that are unique to cloud deployment? For example, like new integrations that you had to create or you know, maybe cloud to cloud or cloud to on-premises uh, integrations? You know, the architecture between on-premise and cloud is quite different. Definitely the case, because the level of access you have to the back end versus the front end, right? It's, it's, it's a little bit different. But the one thing that really remains constant is that these vendors are not investing in support. It's not getting any better. And, you know, what we hear from these clients again and again is that they need better support for these mission-critical systems. And, you know, we've had a lot of success with supporting uh, SaaS cloud products like Ariba and SuccessFactors and Salesforce. And uh, because we are, we're bringing in our already tested and established first class approach, you know, providing timely updates, doing, um, you know, proactive and reactive based uh, supports because we bring in those readily available support engineers. And I think a lot of the cloud providers, if you really look at it, they're relying on what we call community-based assistance, right? <laughs> Where they're offering forums and, and you know, and, and blogs and, and chat rooms and stuff so that their, their customers are doing all the support for them, right? And it's mm -hmm. kind of word of mouth and and uh, you know, this is just really unacceptable at the at the enterprise level. Now, now the hyperscalers, the hyperscalers are are a big part of the solution because I think when you look at people who really want to go to the cloud, they don't want to re-implement everything. They don't want to move from a perpetual license to a to a rented model, but they want to get out of their forty-year-old dying data center. Right? That's just really old. It's really expensive to maintain. They don't want to be in that business anymore. So hyperscalers just come in as a perfect solution uh, when people just want to get out of that data center, but they love the software and the version that they have today. So they just want to put that on somebody else's hardware and they want to retain the ownership of what counts, right? You want to retain the ownership in the software. You don't really care about owning the hardware because that's a temporary asset where software is forever, right? Where they come to us is they kind of looking for advice on, hey, which which cloud should I go to depending on the workload profile that I have? What products in the cloud should I go with to allow the right flexibility and both the, from the licensing model? Security is always an issue problem with, with those. We want to make sure that we understand what the hyperscalers are doing from a security perspective and what's the role and responsibility of the customer in the world of security. And we also make sure that our customers aren't too susceptible to a lock-in model if if that's not really what they're going for. And the reason why I think it's 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 great for, for us and our customers is because a lot of those hyper, the hyperscalers and the big SIs and all that stuff, they're all kind of on this journey together where we are really truly agnostic because we have solutions and products no matter what end state people mm -hmm. go to. We can provide clients with truly genuine guidance uh, on their cloud journey. I think that's what they look to us to do. 
to provide that kind of support and advice about hyperscalers like AWS and Microsoft Azure, what do you do? Do you have relationships with those hyperscalers such that they give you maybe a little extra background information and documentation to help with supporting your customers and using those services? Or is it more kind of hands-off where you know you do your own research and you know those services enough to provide the advice, but you don't exactly have a relationship, let's say, with an AWS? That's a great question because we purposefully have a policy to not have kickback relationships from anyone because that's when people start becoming less agnostic and they start trying to move customers into a way that's best for them. We move customers and advise customers on what's best for the customers and we have no other skin in the game than that. One of the real hurdles that I noticed and you know has been written about by a lot of folks in connection with it, let's stick with SAP, going from like ECC on-premises to the, again, the multi-tenant SaaS s Cloud is that not all the same functionality is there in that particular version of S4HANA, especially if they're not coming from S4HANA on-premises and coming from ECC. It seems like there's inherently going to be a, like a business process re-engineering process, as we used to call it, which I think is is a big part of what Rise with SAP is. It's helping companies figure out how they have to do things differently if they really want to go to multi-tenant SaaS version of the cloud in their ERP. Does Ramini Street offer the kind of business process advice that SAP itself and the, and the big system integrators, like you mentioned earlier, that SAP does with its partners so that customers can figure out how to transform their business to make that transition? It's just not surprising that we would get in some kind of announcement or news that is going to imply that all the fun stuff is in the new place and we're not, we're not doing anything in, in, in the old place. It's just another tactic to force people to abandon ownership and repurchase and replatform into a locked-in model, right? So it's, it's, it's the long game. But, you know, when these vendors make decisions that aren't really in favor of their customers... That's when that creates a tremendous opportunity for a ministry because we provide choices and the ability to follow their own business-driven roadmap to do you know, what they want with the software that they're, they're entitled to and not the roadmap forced uh, by the vendors. So, of course, we have uh, us many, many uh, proprietary tools and calculators that help people look at the different types of options that they have. While there's a lot of options and it's a little complicated, it's not infinite, it's, it's finite. And we can look at every single fork in the road of where to go and model it out. Because when you have a, a, a program like Rise, it forces customers to have to do a feature by feature by feature comparison of how they're using the system today and map that over to what it's going to look like and rise because they're going to have some things will be the same. Some things will be different. Some things won't even be available at all in rise. And they're doing a very mission critical thing in ECC today that isn't even available. And those companies that just blindly take the jump in, to these cloud models without doing that are getting burnt without being able to do that. And that takes quite some time. It can take months and months to talk to all the subject matter experts to make sure that you look at every feature and functionality and see how and if it's going to match and then do the cost analysis of that. But more importantly, what we help our customers do is look at the ROI. So if you were to, to spend you know one or two years moving over to a cloud model, 
and you make that investment, how much is that about going to be? And in what year are you going to realize the payback from that investment? And what is going to be the percentage payback of that going to be, say, modeled out over five to seven years? And we'll look at that through, okay, should I go to I, an infrastructure as a service model? Should I go to a software as a service model? Should I stay with what I have and, 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 and kind of uh, go run the car for as long as I can? All these different kind of models that we have. And we put real numbers to it, real industry numbers with our customers' data so that they can literally find out the best way from a financial perspective what's going to make sense because board of directors are requiring this level of analysis these days they want to see you know going into a board and saying i need 10 million dollars to go from version x to version y that's just not cutting it anymore they've got to see how that's going to really truly impact the financials of the business and and, and move the bottom line and, and that's what people need to model out and it, that's a little bit strange for a lot of it managers to have to do that level of detail but it's required today some customers might have questions about security patching and whether you can do that or not if you if you hire Ramini Street. There are so many different security companies and ways to handle enterprise software security. There's so many more options that we've ever had. We have our approach. Other people have a, a other approach. We have some great security products that, that we use that we think are great, but it's just different ways, right? It's, it's, mm -hmm. it's different strokes for different folks, but um, you know, they're, they're all probably viable, but uh, we, just, we have our ways and other people have uh, their ways and uh, that's just the way it works, right? Can you say a little more about what your ways are though? Like what, what your, some of your security related processes or products are? We leave security to security companies uh, because we think that that's, that's just a, a, a good way to do it. So we have some value added um, reselling of things and a suite of products that we call Ramini Protect. That is focused on protecting the web layer, the middleware layer, and the data germ, really the, the three main components of any really ERP. Mm -hmm. uh, and that's, that's just the way that, so it's zero day production. It's in memory. That doesn't have to do a lot of testing and retesting and uh, down, no downtime and things like that. So I think customers uh, like that approach uh, to mm -hmm. security. So how would you describe Romini Street's relationship with SAP? I think earlier you said you, you tend to not have really close relationships with a lot of these vendors um, because it allows you to be agnostic or, or more vendor neutral. Is there any kind of relationship or is it more that Romini Street just gets a lot of experience using the SAP platforms and understanding the documentation and has your own training process, et cetera, that has really nothing to do with SAP as a company? Right. Yeah. So, you know, um, both some of the arguably the most robust feature rich software ever made on the planet. Right. And we love their software. We're passionate about their software, but we don't have any really formal relationship with SAP, like a reseller agreement, or we reselling licenses or anything like that. We're not really doing a, a, any of that. We're just trying to help people get the best value out of that SAP platform. So where we fit in is, you know, helping our customers get the most out of their SAP and all enterprise ecosystem by freeing up the budget and the time constraints. Uh, that uh, for organizations so they can innovate within SAP and around SAP. So I think that we are uniquely positioned to help clients get the most out of their SAP investment because uh, we bring experts into every single call. So you know, for our clients, 
you know, the first thing that we have is in every single call with a customer, we have a 10 plus year experience engineer on the line, which you're not going to find in, in, uh, in these vendor support uh, organizations. And we have discussions and how to's and what ifs and, and what if we did this and what if we did that? That's just, that's just noise, I think, for a lot of the, the vendors. So what you get is really the software enthusiasts who love the product and can recommend ways to use the existing system in its fullest to achieve, uh, you know, the business outcomes uh, that, they, that they need. So what that does is that gives people the realization that they can use these platforms for years and years and years beyond what they may originally thought or what the vendors are telling them when they have to retire and replatform to something else. When they looked at the system that they have and they realized, shoot, I'm only using 40 or 50% of the functionality I'm entitled to. I have years of headway here that I can actually use to, to continuously innovate with the system that I have or potentially around the system, right? Mm -hmm. So it's, to me, I think our customers are more uniquely positioned. They get the maximum value out of these systems. You talked earlier about this sort of forced upgrade, this pressure to upgrade. And SAP really received some sharp criticism, especially from the German and the UK and Ireland user groups quite recently for saying during its latest quarterly earnings call that future innovation will only be available on S4HANA cloud, not the on-premises version of S4HANA. And customers who bought the on-premises S4HANA, I think might feel pretty abandoned. They're, they're, some of the comments indicate that they do feel that way and that they might feel misled and maybe, you know, kind of betrayed by SAP. So I'm wondering first, what was your reaction when you heard about that SAP statement? I think I was just as, just as mad and frustrated on behalf of the entire user community. I mean, people entered into an agreement with these vendors 10 years ago that says, I'm going to buy the software and I'm going to have a perpetual license and you're going to be with me every step of the way forever and ever and ever. That's what we, because it was really expensive, but what, why we did it is because we knew that that was going to have a return on investment year over year over year, because we're going to be running our business on this platform. So it was worth that huge upfront spend and the annual maintenance that's, that's needed to do that um, because we knew that that was going to stand the test of time. And now to have that completely, uh, uh, you know, reversed and, and changed and said, no, you've got to rebuy what you already have. Uh, it's it, it, to me, my reaction was it was just completely uh, furious. But again, like I said, when these vendors make these choices that are aren't in our customers' interest, this is what really gives the opportunity to the ministry to help people get the most out of what they have today and help them make decisions on what incremental costs are going to move the needle for them and what maybe is wasteful. Can you drill down a little bit into what you're going to do? Like what, what are some of the ways that Romini Street can try to lessen that blow for your SAP customers? You know, it's it, to me, it's do what we've always done. And that is provide a much better world-class support service on the versions customers are currently running and the current versions that customers want to run in the license model that they that they prefer. Uh, and at the same time, freeing up that budgets for innovation projects that actually move the needle for the, for the business. I mean, let's face it, ERP is mission critical. It's mandatory. We must have it. It's always got to be up. It can't be down, but it's not innovative and it's not differentiating, right? You're processing payroll. <laughs> so, 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 you know, uh, 
so people want to be able to, especially in the very competitive landscape that we have today, they need every dollar they can possibly get so that they can focus on systems of innovation and systems of differentiation, not these kind of transactional based systems uh, where that. So, um, so when you can free up that budget on projects to, that can help them uh, invest in innovative uh, solutions, it, it's just a win-win for everybody. And now, you know, when you, you talk about our Ramini One program, right, which is really the combination of our L4 support along with the managed services, that really puts a lot of the pressure off of the customers and they can just hand it over to us and not have to worry about it all, completely get it off their plate as a you know one-stop shop for their all of their enterprise software needs so that they can start retooling and refocusing on, on things that are going to make a difference. Does this move by SAP make it harder for you to help your customers keep their SAP systems current with the latest technology? I don't think so. Um, at least for right now, I don't think so. Because, you know, if you look at what's available in these SaaS cloud, there's really not a whole bunch there that can justify a multi-year, multi-million dollar, completely expensive and disruptive project. There's just, I don't really see anything that is just so alluring that anybody can justify making that move. And even, even like before, it's just sometimes even critical functionality is missing uh, in, in that cloud. So historically, it's been our experience that it goes for most of these upgrades. We really don't see a lot of new features in just the upgrades or the migrations to cloud in general, because if there is desired functionality in the new versions, customers can typically get that same or similar functionality, either through some sort of customization or innovating around the edge or a bolt-on or something like that in a significantly more cost-effective way than ripping everything else, throwing it in the trash and starting all over, right? So if there's a delta functionality that somebody wants, our recommendation is, is put your time and money and effort into that delta functionality. Don't rip out 55 other different things so that you get that one delta functionality, right? And there's so many products and great solutions out there that I bet you we could finally get that functionality in another way that's going to be a fraction of the cost. So does Ramini Street help the customers do that? Do you help them at least come up with a plan for maybe development or how to go to a third-party provider or buy an additional product that maybe connects in with the SAP system? Yep, we do. We call it our uh, road mapping uh, services. So we've developed 40 to 50 different templates that we have that are unique to each in the, in the, the templates are by module, right? So we have a template for HR, template for logistics, template for supply chain, template for finance and so on and so on. And where we go is, is uh, do a maturity modeling uh, assessment so that we can kind of see where people are. It's most likely a, a traffic lighting system of sorts. So you can see, hey, you're red here, you're yellow here, you're green here. So you can kind of see where you're skating to and kind of figure out where we where we need to improve the process, what's where we need to, whether it's desired or it's just a maturity curve that we want to get to that, that next level. Um, once you have that, you in essence have a requirements document, don't you, right? So here's all the requirements of what future states should look like. Once you have that, you can assign a weight to each one of those requirements, right? And so requirement number one has a weight of 10, which means it's mandatory, mission critical. I'm not going to think about anything else. Maybe it has a weight of one because it would just be nice to have and anywhere in between. 
right? So now you have a waiting system and the requirements document, and now you can go look at all the different available solutions and options you have to get to that end state in an agnostic way with your with with your focus on getting there to the in the fastest way possible in the path of least resistance in the most cost effective way that's going to return the best return on investment right but it has to be done scientifically and to be honest this can be a little bit of an emotional conversation too because people have been doing this for quite a long time and that takes that emotion out of it and makes it much more scientific so we help customers through that for sure i guess this is a good place to end it and i uh thank you for your time for coming in today eric Sure. Always happy to chat.